lost and found. For some of us, this phrase conjures an image of, brightly, of a brightly colored bin full of left-handed gloves and cheap spectacles and polka dot umbrellas and even some flip cell phones. But lost and found is also a phrase that shows up twice in the gospel we read. The gospel you may know as the story of the prodigal son. Now Jesus is the storyteller and he is masterfully creative. So to give you a sense of what I mean, here's how I think this story may have been crafted by Jesus. I want you to imagine with me a time when you're pretty sure that you've just read the best bedtime story that this kid has ever heard. And right as you finish with Morgan Freeman precision, the child is so enraptured that they ask for an encore. Tell me another story. But there are no more books nearby. So you look around the room for inspiration and you see the stuffed frog and you see the Barbie doll. And so you begin once upon a time, there was a frog and a princess. That's how scripture sets the scene today for Jesus. And he riffs off of it. See, there's a crowd of people and the text tells us they are sinners. And believe me, they've been told that too. They know it. They come near to Jesus and they sit at his feet because they want to hear what he has to say about God and about them. Then there are those there who don't know that they're sinners. They come around too. They stand at the back to take stock of the room, focusing on everyone except themselves, forgetting to look inside their own hearts. And so just like a loving adult about to make up an excellent bedtime story for a child. Jesus looks around the room and he sees the sinners and he sees and he calls them the younger son. And he sees the grumblers and he calls them the older son. And he sees his own father who's always before him and he imagines what God wants to say to these children. So he begins, once upon a time, there was a young son. Do you remember what it felt like to be young? Maybe you're still feeling young. The flame, the hope flame in the heart is still burning strong. The dreams are big. And you keep thinking, all I want to do is grow up and then I can have the things I want. That's the younger son. He knew what he wanted, and when he got big enough, he went for it. He took a big chunk of money from his dad when he asked for his inheritance early. He traveled, he did what he wanted. He went out to make the big dreams happen. But after a few years, when hope faded and the dreams never really manifested, the young son found himself surrounded by pigs. Now, when I say pigs, what I mean is that he was surrounded by creatures that exemplified exactly who he had become. He was knee-deep in the muck with those who also took whatever they wanted, those who thought of no one else. But if you live your life like that for too long, 
you wind up eating more than your fill of the slop and never feeling satisfied. Maybe you've been there, found yourself in that same location at some point in your life. Maybe you feel like you're face down in the muck, in the pigsty of life right now. When you're hungry enough to eat whatever the pigs are eating, you can end up playing a list of people who care about you through your head and calculating who you might be able to get something from next to help you out of the mess you found yourself in. But when we start thinking like that, the faces that come to mind are no longer faces of people, but objects like vending machines. Lori will give me some cash. Chris is a bed to sleep in. Liz is dinner. David is dessert. And that's how I'm going to make it through today. Have you ever gone through a list of people who care about you and thought of them like this? Or maybe you've been someone else's vending machine before and you understand the story from the other side. Recalling the painful feeling of being used by someone you care for and you thought cared for you. Whichever side you find yourself on, this is a moment in life that's hard to reflect on because when people become vending machines, we've lost more than our money. Like the son in the parable, we've become one of the pigs. We've lost our humanity and forgotten what it feels like to love and be loved. This is where the young son finds himself. This is where he finds himself when he remembers that his father gave him an inheritance. And maybe he could get a little more if he just went home. And that's when Jesus brings his own father into the story. Because God is the one who comes to mind when we need a miracle, right? We've probably all done this, maybe in a Costco parking lot, praying that God will give you the close spot, right? <laughs> the vending machine God. There's no atheists in foxholes, huh? See, and that's the kind of conversion that the young son seems to go through, conversion. It's one induced by stress and fear. I don't think that return home was a real change of heart. And we know this because he recounts multiple times what he's thinking he's going to say to his dad. He's playing out the conversation with his father in his head. He's trying to come up with just the right words. I'll tell him I'm sorry. I'm not worthy. Yeah. Maybe he'll have pity on me. I'll do anything. I've done so much wrong in my life, Dad. I can't name it all right now, but I'm so sorry for everything. Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. Yeah, could I just have a little bit more? If I put the money in, will you pop me out a miracle just this once? And the words seem right at the time the young son comes up with them, just like they seem right to us when we need a parking spot. But they're not. These aren't ruminations of the repentant, but the desperate. 
No one's had a big revelation about sinfulness. We're just afraid to drown in suffering. So I think this kid had a lot of muddled thinking to do on that walk from the pigsty to dad's house. And just as he's rounding the corner, putting the finishing touches on his planned speech, he looks up. And in the distance, he sees someone running at him. Oh, my God, my dad is coming to strangle me. Uh, He's patting his pockets down for something to use to defend himself. But his father is running so fast that he's practically on top of him. And the son braces himself for a beating, and he cries out, Father, I've sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. But it's too late. He's been tackled. And he feels something wet on his face. It's blood. Is it blood? It's, is it, no, it's not blood, it's tears. Whose tear is, is my dad crying? He's crying. And at this point in the story, I can imagine the crowd is hushed. What will the father say? What will he do? Are these tears of anger or sadness? Maybe you're anxiously sitting in the emotions of this kind of question right now as you wait on a word from God about your own circumstances that need a miracle. Those bills to pay, the job to find, the house to buy, the child to raise, the spouse to care for, my own health, what is the response going to be when I let God see how desperate I am? that sounds like you, then this parable from the young son's perspective is your parable too. If you don't know whether to be hopeful or afraid of those tears from the father, but you're so used to fear being the safest bet, then Jesus' father is for you too. See, God did not teach the son to see sinners in a crowd but to see children. Jesus is curled up with each child in a room, giving them the best bedtime story he can come up with so that they can find rest. And the father in that story is also more concerned with rest for his child than anything else. Just as God doesn't care whether you have the right words to say in your prayer, the father cares nothing for that speech the young son has prepared. All he cares about is that his kid is home safe, safe and sound. His only care is that what has been lost is found. So those arms wrapped around you in your most desperate moment are not an angry chokehold. They are the arms of love, ready to receive you, ready to hold you in absolute forgiveness. Father's not angry or sad. I'm sure he's feeling a lot of things, but mostly relief. My kid's home. And the father's response to his son in that story is God's response to every tired child, every lost child, every time.
And for those of you who don't believe it, Jesus brings you the character of the older son into the plot line, stage left. This character is Jesus' way of speaking to those nagging thoughts at the back of your head. Well, this feels too good to be true. You can't get something for nothing. That young boy is going to have to work really hard to earn his father's love back. The prodigal son didn't deserve to come home. If you're here today, not feeling afraid of the father, but instead resentful, of a father that's a little too wimpy? Well, the older son is for you. Because you're right. The love of God always feels too good to be true. And if this were a story about a lost left-handed glove, or a lost umbrella, or a pair of lost spectacles, the father might have used this opportunity to teach his son a good lesson and responsibility. But we're not talking about lost and found things. We're talking about lost and found people. Human beings, flesh and blood, sweat and tears, joy and pain, and need. Need for love, need for hope, just like you and me. So whether you're the younger son who did everything wrong or the older son who did everything right, God's response to all God's children is come home. Whenever you get lost, whenever you're tired, just turn around and head toward that familiar road back to me. As soon as I see you, I will run to you with open arms. You can take my hand and we will walk the rest of the way home together. <laughs>